Last week, we noted four evidences of, of hard-hearted leaders and the havoc that it brings upon their followers. We looked at the priests in particular, these, high, these leaders of Israel. They compromised values, their conscience had become callous, their purpose had become confused, and, and their sacrifices were ultimately conceded, were based upon their own standards rather than the given standard and word of the Lord. So now we come this morning in Malachi chapter 2, and the Lord comes face to face with the priests of Israel. He desires them to have a crystal clear understanding, a reminder of exactly who the Lord is and their offenses against Him. See, Israel has lived in such a way, the priests, the religious leaders of Israel, have chosen to live in such a way that they mock God, living as though they believe He is either not all-knowing or at the very least not all-powerful and, and unable to have the authority to do anything about it. In this way, they have compromised the standards that the Lord has given them as though He will compromise and edit the covenant. And thirdly, it leads them to practice in such a way that reflects as though they don't believe that there will be consequences for their sinful actions. And in the text, as in so many of the prophetic books, it's as though the Lord has a direct conversation with the priests of Israel and the Spirit of God says, hey, why don't you pull up a chair as well and listen. When we come to a text like this, we come honestly and humbly. Part of us will look and say, how could these people not get it? But what we must do as good readers of the text is say, Lord, would you likewise give us ears to hear? Give us soft hearts. And the relationships and responsibilities, whether that's leadership in the local church, or leadership in a friendship or relationship, leadership in your home or your place of work or your neighborhood, Every relationship has a leadership dynamic, and the Lord calls each of us to steward those, to tend those toward the Lord, a fear and a love of Him, a tenderness of heart. So my prayer for us is that not only will we come to have a greater understanding of these if-you-will-not-listen truths, but that the Spirit of God might use these to ever soften our hearts even more than we think we may need, and I may need as well. So let's note first that God will not be mocked. Verse 1 God will not be mocked. He will bring condemnation upon the hard-hearted leaders. We'll note this in the first three verses, but the first observation we'll make in understanding that God will not be mocked is, is the re reminder for each of us. And for some of you, this might be the first time you've processed this or heard this, and it's that He is all-knowing. See, God will be, not be mocked. He is all-knowing. All-knowing of both of our actions and of our heart. He is all-knowing. What a reminder. Verse 1 and 2 from the ESV, if you don't have a Bible, follow along in the Pewback Bible in front of you. Malachi writes in verse 1 of chapter 2, And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay them to heart. The Lord's knowledge is so perfect, He does not progress in knowledge. He doesn't wait to see what further evidence will come along. He's never enlightened. He's perfect in His knowledge, absolute. The priests stand before Him as guilty. Guilty of action and guilty of hardened hearts. The Lord tells them in this way, if you will not listen, if you will not obey, which tells us what? They've chosen not to listen. 
and chosen not to obey. Perhaps somewhat like what a parent might say to the child, hey, if you don't, you know, if, if you don't stop doing that, what's that statement indicative of? That the child is doing that. That's what he's telling them. If you do not stop this, if you, if you will not listen and not obey, if you will not take it to heart, God had gifted Israel with the priests, and the priests were to be overseers. They were to be teachers, not just making sacrifices, but part of the responsibility of of the priests was to be ever mindful of the Scriptures, to be ever mindful of the the details they were to go to and, and, and making pure and good sacrifices, to be ever mindful of the Scriptures, Torah, teaching the people the way. And yet, the priests... We're not burdened for the things of the Lord. We'll say that to each other sometimes. We'll use that expression. When you look at a friend or a family member, or sometimes you can look at an acquaintance that you barely know, and you can see that they're burdened with something. You ever done that? Somebody looked at you and been able to read you, or just something wasn't off, and they said, hey, what's on your heart? What's on your heart? You seem burdened. The priests of Israel are burdened for anything but the Lord. And it reflects a a thought as though they they think they'll get away with it in their life. They live as though they believe that God does not know their hearts or even their actions. And so we have this statement of curses. The book of Malachi and all the scriptures are filled with consistent contrasts. We already saw one major contrast in chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. And Jacob's, the love the Lord showed Jacob was a choosing love, a gracious choosing love. And the hatred he showed for Esau was, was a non-choosing love, not choosing him. And now we have another contrast, that of blessings and curses. Of blessings and, we're going to be like a choir by the time we're all done. We're hitting, we're hitting the road with this. We'll be, uh, we'll be singing at the Astros game coming up. I'm not even an Astros fan, but I thought for sure you'd get more than that. Than that. I mean, you guys like, must be all Rangers fans here. I don't know what's the demographic we're working with. Okay, it's good. Now that I've completely ruined the rhythm of the text. <laughs> blessings and curses. So let's understand those. If, if blessings, blessings are from the people of God living and abiding by the covenant that God has given. And blessings are the fruit that comes from abiding in the covenant faithful God. The blessings that come from that, even as believers in Jesus Christ, those who've repented and placed our faith and trust in Christ, as we abide in Christ, we produce fruit. We think of the fruit of the Spirit. So we don't aim for fruit, we aim to abide in the the faithful promises of the Lord by His Word. And in doing so, the Lord, by His Spirit, produces fruit in our lives, a transformation. It's a beautiful, good gift, a blessing in our lives and the lives of others even as we're faithful to abide in the promises of the Lord, the covenant of the Lord. So curses, on the other hand, would be what? Would be when people are living against, they're living far from the covenant promises of the Lord. They're violating the covenant. They're not living as they should do, and therefore they're producing a spoiled fruit, a consequence of living against the way of the Lord. Does that make sense? So blessings and curses. He tells them, I I will curse you. I will send the curse. I will curse your blessings. As a matter of fact, I've already begun to curse you. 
because of what you're doing. Scriptures give warnings about the land even vomiting out the people. We're not going to read it, but write down, if you're taking notes, Leviticus 18. Leviticus 18 is a great text to read to give us a background on this chapter. Leviticus 18 is filled. Now, now this is a racy chapter, be forewarned. But Leviticus 18 is filled with all kinds of uh, relationship perversions that are taking place. But in that, God gives the warning, and he says that the pagan nations who lived there before him, the pagan people, all their perversions that they had led to the land vomiting out, is vomiting out the nations. And the warning in Leviticus 18 goes back to Israel. It says, if you live that way as well, the land will also vomit you out. It's a beautiful image. Go ahead and capture that in your mind. The scripture is full of those. If that one disturbs you, just wait till we get to verse 3 today. But the warning is clear. There's blessings and the curses, and the, and the, the priests of Israel are living as they, they don't think God knows what they're doing. Not only are they living in a way that shows they don't think God knows what they're doing or knows the condition of their heart, but they're living as though they believe that God cannot do anything about it. It goes to verse 3. See, the Lord, He is all-powerful, and He has the authority to execute judgment. They're mocking God in that they deny either His power or His knowledge. And He is, the Lord clearly establishes, that He is all-powerful with the authority to execute judgment. Look at verse 3. He says, Behold, I will rebuke your offspring, and I will spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. It's one thing to know, it's another thing to be able and willing to execute judgment. And the Lord does both of those perfectly. His knowledge is perfect, and His ability to execute judgment is perfect. And what God does for Israel is He exposes them by speaking directly of the quality of their sacrifice. What they should have done is taken the offensive offerings and cast them out of the temple. Got them far from there because they were unclean, gross. What the Lord says, because the priests are living in such a way as they, they don't think God will do anything about it. He's either lacking in power or lacking in knowledge. God says, I'll take the waste of those animals, the dung of those animals, and I'm going to rub it on your face. And I'm going to do what you should do with the animals. I'm going to cast you and the animals out of my presence. Because it's so gross and offensive to me. Just as dung being lit on fire would be an offensive smell, the Lord says the offerings that you bring are an offensive smell to me. And I will not be mocked. And I will not be mocked. In Deuteronomy 33.11, God tells Levi, the, the one who's the forefather of these priests, of the priests, Moses gives to Levi of this blessing. I'm going to read it and keep it in your mind because we're going to come back to it in a second. But of Levi and Moses' final blessings, before he dies, he says, Bless, O Lord, his substance, his descendants, and, and, and accept the work of his hands. Listen to this. Crush the loins, crush the loins of his adversaries, of those who hate him, that they will not rise again. So what Moses blessed with Levi we are supposed to see with the priests. What the priests do is the opposite. What the priests do is the opposite. They, they live in a way that is completely the opposite. So he says in verse 3, Behold, I will rebuke your offspring. It's a reminder to them. The priests should have known this. They should remember Deuteronomy 33 with the very command of blessing for them. It was to be a blessing of them to be in leadership. But he's, instead, they're living in a wicked way 
And so he says, I will judge your offspring. There'll be consequences that will come in your life for what you've done. You should be blessed in the line of Levi, but you've completely changed your job responsibilities. You've completely compromised. You mock me. I should be blessing you like crazy as you abide in me, but instead you choose to live the opposite, and therefore you'll be cursed like crazy. I will not be mocked. So first we see that God will not be mocked. Second, God will not be compromised. Verses five, 4 through 7, God will not be compromised. He will not allow His covenant standards to be revised. A covenant, a promise between God and man. God will not be compromised. He will not allow His covenant standards to be revised. The problem is not with the covenant. The problem is with the people. And it's certainly not with the design. Look at 4 through 6. We note first and foremost that His covenant is designed to be a blessing to those in leadership. The Israelites and the priests of Israel, the religious leaders, because they did what they were supposed to be, if they did what they were supposed to be doing, it was good for them. Them being priests, them not having land, them tending to the needs of the temple, them holding Israel accountable, loving them enough to point them in the truth, that was to be a blessing for the priests. That's God's design. It's God's design for leaders in that way to be blessed, to experience the blessing of that, but they've gone south, they've soured. So we see in 4 through 6, his covenant is designed to be a blessing to those in leadership, not simply a burden. Let's read that, verse 4 through, uh, about halfway through verse 6. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He's highlighting Levi. He stood in awe of my name when you did not. Verse 6, true instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. God, in this case against the priests in this conversation, says, I blessed and I gave peace and life to Levi. Priests, that's to be yours. You're to have peace and life if you abide in me. The opposite has taken place. And it will continue to take place, he says, because the priest will not listen to the statement of the Lord. He says, if you will not listen, and the answer is, they will never listen. In this book. And the hundreds of years that will follow coming to Christ, they will still not listen. They will harden. We can make some mistakes if we come right away to Malachi. We could make some quick, easy mistakes. Listen, as listeners, we can make easy mistakes. If we're not familiar with Scripture, we could come in right away if we're giving counsel, and we could make some false assumptions. We could falsely assume, number one, that the office of priest was a bad thing, and that's, a, that's not true. It was to be a good thing for Israel, stewarding them and instructing them and, and bringing them back to the truth and teaching them the truth. Secondly, we could make a mistake that, that, the, that the one who gave the priesthood made a mistake. We could make the mistake to say God messed up. After all, if God's all-knowing, surely he knew the priests would blow it. And we could make a claim against God, and we certainly would be wrong in that. Thirdly, we could look at the people, and we could blame the people and say, well, the people are fools for not just leaving. Why don't they just leave the temple and do their own thing? 
It's because they don't have the authority to compromise the covenant that, the God, has, that God has given. The people of Israel don't have the right to go to change the covenant that they willingly entered into. They can't just say the priests are bad, therefore let's go start our own other temple and build it somewhere else and do our own thing because the Lord has established the terms by which they were to enter and they entered into them. But because the priests are not doing what they're to be doing, they're a consequence of curse, of judgment to the people. So let's give some applications to this as we consider the context of the local church. Let's be honest. Many of you in this room, by God's grace, I'm thankful you're here. You've been bit by sheep at some point in your life. You're a sheep who's been bit by sheep. You've had run-ins with other church members that have hurt you deeply. And you've hurt other people, probably. Or on the opposite side, you're a sheep who's been under the care of maybe an abusive shepherd at some point in your life growing up or any times. The temptation would be to be like Israel saying, you know what, the priests are bad. We're done with all the whole priesthood thing. We're leaving and doing our own thing. and We're going to go solo. What a grievous mistake that would be. Do you know what they call solo sheep? Do you know what a wolf would call a solo sheep? Lunch. It'd be lunch. The answer to abuses and hardships that we experience, maybe in the context of the local church or that Israel would have experienced at the hands of these bad hired hands, these false shepherds, is not no shepherd and no congregation. The answer is healthy shepherds and healthy congregations. That's the answer. And so I bid you, if you've been hurt in the context of the local, ch- local church or by, by bad church leaders, that you would not abandon or write them off entirely and say, you know what, I'm going to leave a wall up where I'm, nobody's ever going to get to me to get hurt again. Just as the Lord for Israel didn't rewire in the covenant at that time before Christ, He didn't rewire it. He will not be compromised. In the same way as we grow in Christ today, there's no special exemption status for us to say, you know what, I've been hurt before, therefore I'm going to grow in Christ and mature in Christ by myself. We don't have the right to compromise God's word and God's calling. That may be a heavy word for us, but His covenant is designed to be a blessing in leadership. Pray about that. Pray that the Lord would ever soften your heart. And there's a number of people in here that you've experienced hardship in the context of local church. Some of you are living testimonies of God's faithfulness, of Him nurturing and bringing a story of hurt and pain into a story of grace and kindness and the Lord's tending to the context of your heart. And that's a blessing. It's a good thing. But don't allow the bitterness of hardship to cause you to write off the people of God or the teachers of God's Word. Aim for health. Aim for health. So His covenant is designed to be a blessing to those in leadership, and it's designed to be a blessing to those who are led. Verse 6 and 7. This is what the priests of Israel were supposed to be doing. We pick it up at the end, or middle of, toward the end of verse 6. He says, And, and he, of Levi, he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and People should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. This is the calling that the Lord is to give them. In Deuteronomy 33, just two verses before that one, that awesome text we read about the Lord crushing the loins of his adversaries, which, by the way, if you're a middle school boy and you are not reading Scripture, you are missing out. There is some amazing thing. You're like, that's the coolest sentence I've ever said. Crush the loins of 
your adversaries. So that's a, scripture is filled with incredible scenes. Scripture does not, there's, there's, the scripture is honest about our depravity, isn't it? We're all, we all come short. But there is a hero, Jesus Christ. The Lord is faithful. The office that He gives a priest is a good thing. The covenant is a good thing. And it points forward to Christ Jesus, the Messiah. Just as our lives are to point forward and rest in Christ Jesus, the Messiah. A couple verses before that one, in Deuteronomy 33, 9-10, we see a fuller picture, a more full picture of the priests. It says, For they observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. They shall put incense before me and the whole burnt offerings of your altar. The priests were to live in such a way that they taught the people the word of God. And they did what we saw back in verse 6. He turned many from iniquity. That's what the priests are called to do. To look at Israel and to love them enough to speak the hard truths in love to turn them from iniquity. Our hearts are prone to wonder. The priests are called to turn the people from iniquity. That's the calling of a local church family. That's the calling of pastors and shepherds and leaders in the context of local church. Listen, it's to love each other enough. Your calling is, as, a, as, as a church member is to love the people around you enough that you will help to turn them from iniquity. When we come to faith in Christ, it's the very first thing. We hear the good news of the gospel and we're called out of iniquity. We're called to repent, to turn, and to trust in Jesus Christ. To receive forgiveness and to abide in Him in our lives. Following after Jesus. Learning and following after Jesus according to His Word. By the leading of the Spirit of God. That's our call. That's what the priests were to be doing. Turning people from iniquity. So on your life, if you ever move from Nacogdoches County, you leave this place and you look for a church, there's, there's a blessing that comes in, 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 in being joyful and looking forward to a fellowship. So we're not just stoic. We celebrate. We laugh. We enjoy doing ministry. We weep with each other. We cry with each other. We encourage each other. We celebrate together. And we look forward to it. My little son, Uriah, he says, we go Grace, we go Grace Bible Church. We tried to pick him up on Wednesday, and he weeped like we were kidnapping him. So it's a good thing. It's a good thing to be a part of a church that your, your little ones might love. But listen, I don't understand. I've been in ministry long enough to know a day will come when that boy may not want to come to church. He may kick and scream all the way. And if I make a decision based upon what entertains him or what he most desires, I'm not shepherding him well. Because I'm in Grace Bible Church. You desire Grace Bible Church. We desire this, our fellowship to be a place where we care about each other enough as fellow sheep. And the shepherds and elders of this church care about us enough that you know that person will love you enough to aim to speak a hard truth to turn you from iniquity when your heart begins to go wayward. The priest did not do that. They led the people into iniquity when they were called to be a blessing. So may the Lord ever make us a congregation that resounds to be a people who long to be turned from iniquity. May her leaders ever be a people who long to be bold and to love enough to want to turn the people from iniquity toward the Lord. If you will not listen, we see that God will not be mocked. Second, God will not be compromised. And third, God will bring consequences upon both the hard-hearted leaders and their willing followers. God will bring consequences upon both the hard-hearted leaders 
and their willing followers. Verse 8, notice with me first, that hard-hearted leaders will lead their willing followers into judgment. It's what will take place. Hard-hearted leaders will escort their followers right into judgment. Look at verse 8. He says, but you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. The priests of Malachi's time, they turn aside from God's design, and in so doing, though, they took upon themselves the authority to edit God's word. And they do not have the authority to do that. We all know what it's like to experience pressures. In Israel, the priests, for whatever reasons, had compromised their pressures where they've edited the standards that they'll take for sacrifices. They've compromised, they've shown partiality in their teachings, and they're showing partiality in the sacrifices they're receiving. And in so doing so, God charges them. And he says, you have caused many to stumble. Israel is still accountable to the word. They're still accountable to the covenant promise they entered into with its blessings and curses. They, they should have known better than to bring nasty, gross fruit and, and compromised sacrifices, animals that had blemish. So they're guilty, but they're being led in their guilt by the priests who have lowered the standards. So there's tons of, there's several different kinds of offerings that the priests offered. There's burnt offerings that they offered for sin, the sin of the people. People would bring the sacrifice. There's grain offerings that they would give a proportion of their other things as a pleasing aroma up to the Lord. There's uh, sin offerings that were given for sin committed in ignorance against God that we didn't even know we committed, but we did it because we're people. We're dead in sin. There's fellowship offerings. There's restitution offerings that take place when I've offended you a certain amount. I need to pay that back and bring a portion to the temple. There's tons of different sacrifices, but what the priests have done is they've lowered the standards and in lowering the standards they lead the people to sin even more. Let me give you an example. Let's imagine you had me over for dinner which is a really great thought. <laughs> and you made chocolate cake. All of this is irrelevant. Just planting subconscious seeds. No. But imagine you had me over for dinner and I looked up in your kitchen and, and you had behind glass you had this beautiful china bowl. It's an antique passed down from generation to generation to generation. And me just being nosy, I went and I opened it up and I took the bowl out and looked at it and I dropped it and shattered it on the ground. I said, oops. And we ate our meal awkwardly and I went home. And you're like, I'm never going back to that church, but you decided to come back anyway. And you came Sunday and there's a present for you on the front row. And I give it to you after the service. I say, listen, hey, I'm sorry for what I did. I know it was wrong. And I give it to you, and you open it up. And inside is a bowl that I bought from dirt cheap. Right? <laughs> right? And there's a sticker on it that says, made in China. Right? Did I make it better? I took one offense and I made a second offense, didn't I? I, I? I mocked the seriousness of my grievance toward you by giving you an inadequate gift. That's what Israel's leaders are doing to Israel. 
They're lowering the standards, and in lowering the standards, they lower the seriousness of Israel's sin against a holy and just God who will not be mocked and He will not be compromised. And He will bring consequences upon them. That's the judgment that leaders bring. That's why as leaders, we want to take seriously and ask for accountability in our lives. It's a fearful thing. It's a blessing, but it's a blessing of a burden. In our own lives individually, we should ask ourselves that question as each of us are shepherding different relationships that God gives us. To ask, am I pointing my neighbors? Am I, as we saw with our parents and dedicated, are they pointing their little ones toward Christ? Am I pointing my, my, my girlfriend, my spouse, my co-worker, am I pointing them toward Christ? Or am I lowering the standards and teaching something false about the Lord who has spoken to us clearly in His Word and in Christ? Hard-hearted leaders will lead their willing followers into judgment. And finally, hard-hearted leaders will receive judgment before and from the flock. Verse 9. The Lord doesn't take out the priests. Instead, He leaves the priests there for Israel to see. Hard-hearted leaders will receive judgment before and from the flock. Their sin will find them out. Verse 9. The Lord says, And so I make you despised and abased, not to be treated as worthless, playing on chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. And I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your destruction. The priests showing partiality in what they received and didn't receive, they edited the things that they had no permission to edit. And in this way, their sin finds them out. Scripture says that actually repeatedly, their sin finds us out. That's what our sin does. Every one of us could share an example of how our sin has found us out. Either by robbing us of our joy or truly being exposed and other people finding it. Our sin finds us out. The myth of sin is that nobody will know. The myth of sin is that God doesn't know or He doesn't have the power to bring consequences, but He does. Their sin finds them out and trust is eroded with the people. As Christians, we're called to be ambassadors. The priests are called to be ambassadors with no right to change the things of the Lord. The ambassadors, the priests, are to know the word of the Lord well and to shepherd the people in the word of the Lord in the way they made purity sacrifices and in all of their teaching. As ambassadors, they had no right to change the message of the great king. And you and I as Christians have no right to compromise regardless of the pressures we may experience in relationships or from larger culture. It's the way. It's the way. In 2 Corinthians 5, 20-21, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, Paul says, be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. The beauty of the Gospel is that He takes broken people like us and He offers us forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Christ wouldn't be a defunct sacrifice. He would be the perfect Lamb of God, obeying the full demands of, of the Lord. Jesus would lay His life down as a make-right sacrifice for sins. Of sinners like you and I, He would defeat death. He would raise again from the grave and He would ascend into heaven. And those that will turn and place their faith and trust in Christ 
They'll receive forgiveness of a sin, adoption in Christ, and the Lord will count us not only as forgiven, but as righteous, the righteousness of God. As though all the things we've done are, are for the right reasons, the right motives, for His glory and His goodness, and we're called then to walk in that way as disciple-makers, following after Jesus and teaching others to do the same as ambassadors. Ambassadors have no right to change the standards of the Lord, but ambassadors have the blessing of walking in the way of the Lord in a world that desperately needs the true good news. That's a calling we willingly take. It's a calling we're called to. If you don't know Christ, that is your next step. And if you know Christ, here's two next steps for you. Next step number one, the priest chose to ignore the if-you-will-not-listen warning. The priest chose to ignore this warning. We'll see it heightened to the Sadducees who will become super great-grandkids of these priests. The Sadducees will deny the resurrection. The Sadducees will go to such great depths that they will look to crucify the Son of God in flesh while maintaining certain cleanliness rules. Is there an area of your life where you know the Spirit of God has put upon your life and your conscience a reality that there's an if-you-will-not-listen sin in your life? Would you confess that to a brother or sister as well for accountability? Will you aim to grow in a fear of the Lord in that way? reaffirming and believing that the Lord will not be mocked and He will not be compromised. He is good and He's just. Take it to Christ. Abide in Him. And secondly, how should knowing that God will not be mocked inspire us to invite and share the gospel with other people this week? We are ambassadors. That's our calling. If you're a student and you're studying, you already have your job. You're an ambassador. The question is, what job force will the Lord send you in to be an ambassador? What neighborhood or what community will God call you to be an ambassador? And I can tell you this, He's called you to be an ambassador in this one. That's why He has you here at this university. If you're an adult who lives here in this community, in Nacogdoches County, the Lord calls you to be an ambassador for Christ right here in this community. The kids that the Lord's entrusted to you and the neighbors and every other component. The Lord calls us to be proclaimers of the good news we have in Christ. He's worthy of our life. And listen, there is no other name and there is no other aim worthy of the purpose of our lives. Is there? There is no greater purpose, no higher aim. Would you stand together with me as we sing to our great King exactly that?